As most of you know, for the last three weeks, we've been in the middle of a campaign on the topic of money matters. In our Sunday morning messages and in our life groups, we've been looking what the scriptures have to say regarding our relationship to money as followers of Jesus Christ. And one thing I think has been clear, and that is that what we do with our money matters. In the first message of the series, I talked with you about the heart. And we saw that there is nothing more than God wants from us than to have our whole heart. He wants to be the focus of our devotion. He wants our hearts to be free from the things of this world and fixed on things that are above. He wants our hearts to reflect His. And when God has your heart, and when you have His heart, the way that you view money changes. If there was one key statement from that first message, I think it would be this. It's, it's one that I've been pondering. We are born selfish, but born again generous. As our minds are renewed and as we are transformed into the image of God, selfishness fades and it's replaced by a spirit of generosity. God is extravagant in generosity. And so as our hearts are transformed by His grace and as we live according to His Spirit that is inside us, then we have to become more and more generous as well. And that's been the, the primary focus of our campaign for the last three weeks. We've been looking at how we can become people who reflect God's heart and live generous lives. In the second message, Jason talked to us about the whole idea of giving God our first and our finest. It's a principle he showed us that's there all throughout Scripture. It's one that God gives us to test us and to train us and to forge faith within us as we break free from selfishness and fear regarding money. Through it, we learn to trust God's power to provide which then emboldens us in our generosity. Last week, my dad showed us that there is a spiritual battle for our souls, and it's fought between God and a, a rival force that Jesus called the God of Mammon. And Jesus depicted the love of money as having a demonic power behind it that seeks to capture our hearts and our affections. Jesus said in Matthew 6:24, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon." And we saw that the God of Mammon wants to enslave us. When you serve this God, you're ruled by selfishness and fear and jealousy, and you feel as though you never have enough. But when God has your heart, you are free from these things and you live generously and with confidence and with contentment. Money can be a great servant, but it's a horrible master. And so dad's message posed the question to us, do you have money or does your money have you? And I think all three of these messages have, have really built one upon the other. And I know that I have personally been challenged and provoked in my own thinking. 
And I hope you're like me this morning and there's this desire that's been growing in you to be free from this God of mammon and to become one who holds the things of this world loosely so that you can become God's channel of blessing to others. I want my life to reflect the heart of my Father in heaven. I know that if it does, I'm going to be blessed in every way. And so today, as I bring this campaign to a close, I just want to give you a few final thoughts on how we can grow in generosity and break free from this God of mammon. I have three thoughts for you this morning, three final thoughts. And the first one is this, vision is required. We just read a moment ago that Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. In other words, Jesus is saying, there can only be one Lord in your life, one boss, one master. If Jesus is my Lord, then that means He is the owner of my life and He's the master of my life. As a follower of Jesus then, I live with the realization that my life doesn't belong to me. It's not my own. I belong to God. And therefore, everything I own, I see as belonging to God as well. I realize that I have been given a calling, that I have a mission in life to fulfill. And so my purpose and desire then are to do the will of my Father in heaven. There's no greater purpose that I can live for. And so that causes me to begin to look at my time and my talents and my treasure as things or tools that God has given me to steward or invest for His purposes and for His glory. In fact, Jesus showed us that we will actually have to give an account to God one day for how we have managed or used what He's given us. Like the parable of the three servants, we have all been given a measure of silver. And one day the master will return and we will have to give an account for what we have done with it. Did we bury it? Did we squander it? Did we invest it? Were we generous with it? And those who have managed their resources well will hear a well done my good and faithful servant and receive their reward. It's this realization and this understanding that sets the vision that I have for my life. It's what causes me to live my life with intentionality and to establish priorities. There is a a famous biblical proverb, many of you heard it in Proverbs 29, 18, that, that reads like this. One translation puts it this way. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. It's a clear vision or a clear set of values that helps to constrain you. And we could apply this principle to every area of our life, but I want us to think of it this morning specifically in terms of our financial resources because that's what we're talking about. As I've mentioned previously, every one of us has the seeds of sin inside of us. We were born sinners and therefore we were born selfish. That's our default setting. And the God of mammon is at work within those selfish desires. 
inspiring things like greed and, and stinginess and the desire for status, which then causes people to lie and cheat and steal and go into great debt or spend their money on things that ultimately don't matter. And this is what Paul was talking about when he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And so Paul is, is, is warning Timothy here, and he says in the next verse, in verse 11, But you, Timothy, you're a man of God, so run from all these evil things. And he's reminding Timothy there about his purpose. He's reminding him about his mission, reminding him about who he is and what God has called him to do. And he's calling Timothy to a greater vision, to, some, to a greater purpose. Churches, you look at your life today, who are you serving? What vision are you living your life for? What viewpoint is shaping how you live? And because we're talking about it, how you spend your money. If you don't have a clear vision, you will squander the resources God has given you and waste them on things that don't matter. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, God told the prophet Habakkuk, write down the vision, make it plain upon tablets. The vision God gave Habakkuk needed to be written down clearly. You might have attended the last three weeks and heard the messages and have gotten this vision of generosity and this growing desire within you to be free from the God of mammon. I hope that's the case. I hope that you've even prayed this prayer. God, help me to be more generous. But what's your plan? What's your goal? How are you going to get there? You might be saying, Pastor, are you, are you saying I should have a budget if I want to be generous and free from the God of mammon? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. On some level, you need to decide your priorities and then build your life around those things. Let me give you an example from, from my own personal life and family. When God uh, got a hold of my heart early on in my life, it began to shape how I viewed money. Somewhere around the age of, of 20, I decided that I was going to live by this principle of giving God my first and my finest, and that I would give God ten, the first 10% of everything that I earned. When Angie and I got married, uh, uh, I think I was 23 years old, 23? It's 23 years old. Just had turned 23. And we were talking about our finances and how now there's the two of us coming together and how are we going to do it. And, and we decided that was going to, to be how we were going to uh, live our life. We were in agreement that we wanted to honor God with our lives first and foremost, and we wanted to honor Him with our money. We wanted to live surrendered lives to God. And so uh, it was going to be part of our worship to the Lord, part of making Him our first priority, that we would give Him our first and our finest. 
As Jason said uh, a few weeks ago, every two weeks we get to make that decision fresh. God, you're still our first. You're still our number one priority. We want to give you the first of everything you've given to us in worship. And no matter how much Ange and I have had, we've lived that way for all 26 years of our, of our marriage. It's a non-negotiable part of our budget. It's our number one priority. On top of giving God our first, we've also wanted to be generous beyond that. And I would say that this is something that we are continuing to stretch ourselves in. We're still learning to trust God. It's always amazing to me. I can look back on my life and see how God has been so good to me, so faithful to me, seeing Him do so many miraculous things, and yet I still have to learn to trust Him. But nevertheless, we've, we've also caught this vision as being a part of Harvest City Church, of, of, this, uh, of this desire for this church to be a blessing in our city, in our nation, in the nations of the world. And, and so we sow into our partners financially through Global Impact, through Lift Evangelistic Ministries, and, and other church initiatives that come along. And we've made those priorities in our financial budget. And we've exercised faith every year. One of our goals is to try and be a little bit more generous than the year before, to increase the amount that we give each year. Now, because we have this vision that has driven our lives from the time that we were married, it means that we've had to constrain ourselves in other areas. We've always lived within our means. And for, the, for us, that, that looks like second-hand vehicles. That looks like houses that we can afford and less toys than some of our neighbors. Giving and paying our bills are top priorities. I believe that it's part of my integrity as a follower of Jesus to be one who pays my bills on time. And so we constrain ourselves as much as we need to so that we can live our lives according to our priorities. Our priorities and our vision also shape how we spend our money in some other ways. For example, Angie and I feel like building relationship with our children is godly. We feel like having a strong home is important to God. We feel that our children should be a priority to us before you are and before anybody else that God has called us to serve. They're our first priority in serving. They're our first priority in taking care of. And so we value spending money on things that we can do together as a family on things that give us joy as a family, things that strengthen us. And so we spend a lot of our financial resources on sports, on trips around those, because we love those shared experiences. I believe that God loves strong families. And how we spend our money can actually contribute to that or take away from that. One of the things that we've talked about over the years as, as, family, as family, I've had this conversation with our, with our kids, Angie and I have, uh, have had this amongst ourselves, and we've decided that we would rather make memories and we would rather share experiences together 
than have the latest and the greatest of everything. We've decided that we would rather have some things in our house that are outdated, some stained furniture in order to travel around and watch our kids play sports, support them in their passions, have some great vacations together. We've just decided for us those are priorities. And so because we have that vision over our family, that's caused us to live constrained lives. Sometimes I've had to say to our kids, here's why we're doing this, because this is priority to us. When my kids were very little, actually when Eden was just born, I started to put away $30 a month on a RESP. Now that's not very much. I, I, I wanted to do more than that, but that's all that I could afford. <clears throat> but for 20 years, I put $30 a month away into an RESP, and it's amazing how even $30 a month over 20 years, what it can grow into. It's not a ton, but it's been something. I've done what I could, and my kids have been grateful that I'm able to take some of that resources and help them with their schooling and help them purchase some of their first cars and, and things like that. And I've been very grateful that I had enough vision to say, I want to help my kids when they get older one day, so I'm going to give what I can thinking about the future. I've done what I could. I've been able to do more than some of you because I've had more resources than some of you. I've been able to do less than some of you because I've had less. But the point is my priorities have shaped my spending. Angie and I have tried to be very intentional. We've tried to ask God this question. How do you want us to spend your money? That's an interesting question. How do you want us to spend your money? And I think the answer to that question is probably unique to each and every one of us. How God wants you to spend your money in some situations might be different than how he wants me to spend it. But if God is your master, I believe that that kind of questioning should shape your vision. Now, just as a little testimony or, uh, or an aside, I truly believe that when you make generosity your mission and using your resources for kingdom, uh, uh, for kingdom purposes, your priority, God blesses you for it. Yes, the greatest blessing is the treasure that's stored up in heaven. But I found that there's another principle that comes into effect that's, uh, that Solomon talked about in Proverbs 11.25. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And Angie and I could tell you story after story of how God has blessed us again and again in so many ways. I feel like over the years of my life, we have been the recipients of so much blessing, so much generosity, that it has often caused me to just marvel at the goodness of God to us over and over again. 
I would say that it's been the story of my family. I'm talking about before Angie and I were married. Uh, growing up in my, my father and mother's house, it's been the story of our family from the time that my dad quit his job when I wasn't even five years old and gave away all his money to help plant a church in Swan River, Manitoba. God has always provided for our needs. And many times... Not only has He provided for our needs, but He's spoiled us above our needs and just simply blessed us. He's a generous God. And so to sum up this point, my challenge to to us this morning is this. No matter where you're at financially now, I want to challenge you to begin to ask God how He would like you to spend His money. Ask yourself the question, does my spending line up with the priorities and the values that I have for my life? What's my vision? Does it reflect God being the one I serve or mammon? What's your vision? Make it plain. One of the things that I I really love about the the finance classes that we offer here at the church, Tim Sturzer is the the one who oversees that, and he's so passionate about these things and has a team that helps him. And I I, I know uh, every fall we offer these classes, but one of the things I love about them is that those classes help people to develop clear plans so that they can manage their money according to what's important. And I want to say this to you today, that if you've done poorly with this, my encouragement to you is repent. Be honest. Get some help if you need to. But start moving forward in line with the vision that God has for you. There is something about just honestly coming and saying, God, I I haven't been living according to your priorities. I've had other visions. I see where the God of mammon has been ruling my life. And so I'll repent. You know, God gives grace to the humble. He supports those whose hearts are are completely His. And, and, And I think sometimes the first and most powerful step you can take towards financial freedom is just to confess where you've been serving the God of mammon and asking God to help you. When you come in humility, the power of God breaks free to help you. A second way that you can grow in generosity and break free from the God of mammon. Number two is avoid debt. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And here's the simple truth. Debt enslaves us. It enslaves us. And this point's directly connected to my my first point. We could ask the question, why do people go into debt? And there could be several reasons for that, but I think often one of the reasons why people go into debt is because of a lack of vision. They're controlled by the God of mammon and have not learned to practice self-control. I want us to remember that the God of mammon comes in the opposite spirit to the spirit of God. 
The God of Mammon comes to us and says, you need this. You want this. You must have this. And you must have it now. It's the same spirit that Esau encountered when in a moment of impulse he traded his birthright for a pot of stew. In hindsight, Esau would come to realize it was a horrible decision. His hunger in the moment clouded his judgment. Church, we have an enemy who wants to rob from us. He wants to enslave us. He doesn't want us living in financial freedom. He doesn't want us living generously as God is generous. And so he entices us. He appeals to our flesh. He brings our focus into what feels good now or satisfies a current craving, but leaves you with permanent consequences. The long-term pain of serving the God of mammon is not worth the short-term gain. But the Spirit of God in us calls us to the exact opposite of this. Galatians 5 verse 22 tells us the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Paul said, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self-control. The Spirit of God within us is a patient spirit. The Spirit of God within us is a spirit of self-control. Paul told Timothy, remember in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, uh, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. The Spirit of God is opposite to the spirit of mammon. It's a spirit of self-control. A clear vision or budget helps you to control yourself. A life surrendered to the Spirit of God gives you the grace to say no, to have patience, and to practice delayed gratification. When we're talking about debt, just to be clear, I see debt as money borrowed to buy things that depreciate in value. Money borrowed to buy things that depreciate in value. I understand that no one could ever buy a house, or probably 99% of the population can never buy a house without having a mortgage. I have a mortgage. But generally speaking, houses or property hold their value well, often increase over time. The debt that people take on through impulse purchases, through wants over needs, through buying stuff that's beyond their means or, or, or is a depreciating asset, is that kind of debt that cripples them financially and makes them a slave. There is nothing that robs you of your money like interest, paying interest. How many times do people buy things on their credit cards that they can't afford, telling themselves that they will pay it off when this happens or when that happens? And usually what does happen is you pay interest through the nose and the true price of what you purchased was insanely high by the time you finish paying all that interest off, if you ever do. The money that you spent on all that interest could have been saved if you had practiced self-control and bought it when you could have afforded it. I truly believe 
that there are many people who would like to be generous. If you would ask them, would you like to be generous? They would say, yes, I want to be generous. But they can't because they become a slave to debt and they have no money left to be generous with. My friends, I'm convinced that debt through a lack of self-control is a prime weapon that the God of mammon uses against the people of God. The money wasted in interest has robbed you of the life God has for you. It's killing you. Surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus, I believe, is a life that practices self-control and patience. It's amazing how what can feel like loss in the short term as you constrain yourself feels like total freedom in the long run. You know, when Angie and I first got married, we lived in low-cost housing. In fact, we lived just over the bridge on Broad Street in the townhouses you see on the left. I know that some of you live in those houses. Low-cost housing... They were the cheapest places we could find in town, and we didn't have very much money. I remember that every time that we showered, because whoever had been in the house or in the townhouse before us had obviously smoked like a chimney, and whatever was in the walls when the heat and the, and the condensation from the shower used to leak down the walls, this yellow streaks going down the walls. That's all we could afford. We had one car. It was tiny. It was secondhand. One of us often had to walk to work or ride a bike. We had the cheapest furniture that you could imagine. Remember, we had this old hide-a-bed thing. I, I think it was 70 years old. If you bang the, bang the, the armrest, dust used to come out of it. But we paid our bills, and we gave to the Lord. We practiced self-restraint. We saved a little bit where we could. One of the things my wife is really good at is stretching a dollar. She can find deals like nobody I know, and she prays them in. Over time, we have slowly increased our assets step by step we've moved forward we have purposely lived debt free apart from our mortgage our whole married life except for one time we bought a brand new car when our school became uh, when I was teaching school and we became an associate status and my salary tripled I went and bought a car and then afterwards, I thought, I don't think I'll ever do that again because I hated paying the interest on it. And after about a six months, I was like, it's just a car. Who cares? I've only owned that one brand new vehicle in my entire life. And I'll probably never own another one. My van looks good right now because it's covered in mud. Every time I take it for a car wash, I'm like, oh my gosh, put the mud back on it. I didn't realize how much it's rusting out. 
That heated seat on the driver's side only works half the time. When it's minus 40, you're like, oh God, let it work today. But you know what? It still gets us from A to B, and it's paid for. Who am I trying to impress anyways? I'd rather make a memory. I'd rather give to global impact. I'd rather help my kids get a head start in life. That vision drives me so I can drive a van with some rust on it. I'd rather sleep knowing that I can pay my bills. There's no sleep like knowing your bills are paid for. That peace of mind is far greater than the joy I'd get from owning something I can't afford. That's freedom. I know for a fact that Angie and I have been able to be generous and we've taken pleasure in investing in the kingdom of God simply because we've avoided the trap of debt. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Let me give you another version. If your credit card offends you, cut it up. (laughs) Cut it up. My final point is tied to these last two. If you want to be generous and free from the God of mammon, number three, learn to be content. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul makes an interesting statement. He's warning Timothy about false teachers. And he talks about how some of these false teachers are even putting on a show of godliness so that they can be wealthy. Does that still happen in our time? Sadly, it does. They're putting on a show of godliness in order to make money. But Paul says this to Timothy in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. Yet true godliness, not this fake stuff that some preachers are putting on, but true godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Paul says to Timothy, if you are truly godly, Timothy, and you are content, you are really wealthy. If you can be content, you are rich no matter how much you have in the bank. He then turns Timothy's focus heavenward, which is one of the secrets of being content, and reminds him, you can't take anything with us when, or we can't take anything with us when we go. There is something greater to live for that won't ever fade away. The treasures of heaven. If you can live with your focus there, you can be content with little. And Paul was in prison. Prison. When he wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4 verse 10. And he said, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. They were worried about Paul. They're concerned about him. He's in prison. He says, I know you have always been concerned for me. But you didn't have the chance to help me. But that's okay. Not that I was ever in need. For I've learned how to be content, Paul says. With whatever I have. You couldn't help me? You wanted to? Don't worry about it. I've, I, I've learned how to be content. Right here in prison, I'm content. 
I know how to live, Paul says, on almost nothing or with everything. We have to, there's two secrets we need to learn in life. How do I live with nothing and how do I live when I have everything? We've been talking about that. I have learned the secret, Paul said, of living in every situation. Whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. I kind of like that. I've learned how to be content, but thanks for your help. Appreciate it. Did you know how Paul said... Did you notice, sorry, how Paul said he had to learn to be content? He had to learn it because it's not natural behavior. The God of mammon will always cause you to want more, to desire more, and never be satisfied. But when you have the Spirit of God within you, you realize something. If I know the Lord, if God is for me, If he's with me, then I'll be all right. If this earth is fading away and I'm storing up earthly treasure, then I'm fine. I'm good. If I'm living for an eternal purpose, then suddenly the things of this world lose their hold on me. I've always loved that old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of His glory and grace. Paul learned how to live there with his eyes on Jesus, with his eyes in eternity. And so he says, as a result, I'm content. It's interesting to me It just sort of hit me this week that the famous verse, you know, athletes put it on their shoes, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ. We quote that verse over and over, but what's the context? The context is I can be content through Christ. I can do it through Christ. No matter what situation I'm in, I can go through it. I can do all things through Christ. He's the one who gives me strength. He's the one who helps me gain that eternal perspective. He's the one who can help me to give thanks in everything, which is His will. Church, when you learn to be content, you can live according to a greater vision and for a greater set of priorities. When you're learn to be content you can live with an open hand and you'll be free from the temptations of the God of mammon that wants to enslave you I want you to stand on your feet with me this morning I was just praying and just saying God how do you want us to end the campaign And I want to end the campaign actually by opening the altar this morning. I feel like God wants us to do that. We've been talking for four weeks about having the heart of God, 
about being free from the God of mammon. And I want to pray for you this morning, for those of you who would say, I need God's help. I need to be free from the God of mammon. I see it's got its fingers in me. I'm struggling with contentment. I need God to help me. I want to pray for you. I feel like there's others of you here this morning who you need to repent. You need a financial breakthrough, but the first thing that God is putting His finger on is the fact that you haven't been serving Him. That you've been under the control of another God. And you need to come and humble yourself before God so that He can lift you up. If you're disobeying God, I don't think you have the power to come and say, God, help me in my disobedience. I think when you obey God, His grace comes. It starts there. I want to pray for those of you who need a financial breakthrough. Do you need to come and just posture yourself before God and say, God, as, even as we've been talking, I, I, I've, I've, I see that I need to have more of a generous heart. And I need you to soften my heart. I want to be more like you. I see how generous you are and I see myself and I'm struggling with that. God, would you soften my heart? I think every one of us could respond to this altar call. And I just feel like we've come through four weeks. Do we just go away and say, well, that was a nice series? Or do we put some feet to what God is saying and come and make some commitments to God? Maybe God is challenging you to stretch your faith. You've been generous. You've been one who's given. But now the Lord is saying, would you give extravagantly, ridiculously? Would you trust me with that? And there's something in you that feels like I need to come and just make a commitment before the Lord. We're not going to spend a long time, but if any of that relates to you, why don't you just come quickly here right now and I'm just going to close in prayer and pray over us. Can we do that? Given lots of salvation calls, not too many on series after money. This is a new one for me. Just come. I just feel like there's something significant when, when uh, the message is preached, when God's been speaking something, that we physically respond to it. There's something about just standing before God, making a move that just puts feet to what's going on inside of you. I'm trying to manipulate you or twist you to come forward, but you, you know if you feel like you need to do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Let's just spend a moment. You know why you came. I'm just going to give you a minute here to just in your own hearts, just speak to God about why you've come, and then I'm going to pray over us all to end. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Father, I believe that you've spoken to us these last four weeks. You've really challenged us. Lord, we've been talking about things that, that are uncomfortable in some ways. They, they really get to the heart of the matter. But God, you're interested in the heart of the matter. There's nothing that you're more interested in our hearts. 
So God, we, we're coming. Different ones are here at the front responding. Some are in their seats responding. God, you see our hearts. You see what it is today that we're coming to lay down. What it is that we're coming to surrender to you. What it is that the commitment that we're making towards you. And God, even as we posture ourselves in this place, God, we recognize we need a little Philippians 4.13. We can only do this through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, we recognize the selfishness within us. We recognize the God of mammon and His fingers that are seeking hold on our lives. We recognize these things and we just come humbly and say, God, if you don't help us, we can't live the way you want us to live. Lord, if if your spirit doesn't uh, provoke us, we're going to live by another spirit. And so, God, we are just coming to um, posturing ourselves and positioning ourselves before you and saying, Holy Spirit, come and rule and reign in our lives. Have the first place in our lives. We're coming to surrender afresh to the Lordship of Jesus. You can have me and you can have my stuff. We're coming to you, God, saying we realize that we belong to you. Everything that we are is because of you. All that we have is because of you. And so we're saying, God, how do you want us to spend your resources? What is the vision that you want me to have for my life in this area? God, we're asking for a spirit of generosity. We're asking for a spirit of faith. God, we're asking that you would even grow our trust levels uh, for you. Forgive us, God, for not trusting you. Forgive us, oh God, for being stingy and greedy. Oh God, forgive us, Lord, for not following your principles in Scripture. God, we surrender. We repent. We ask that you would help us. God, I pray for those today that are in dire straits financially those that are really stressed, those that are coming even in in repentance before you. God, I thank you for your promise that you give grace to the humble. And so God, even as they come humbly before you, God, would you divinely intervene in their lives in Jesus' name. God, would you open the windows of heaven. God, would you rebuke the devourer over their lives in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, would there be testimonies that would come of great breakthrough in the name of Jesus. And God, finally, just even as the pastor of Harvest City Church, Lord, you've positioned me uh, in a leadership role in this church. And God, I pray that I and our leadership team would always live with the question, God, how do you want us to spend our money? Lord, what is our priorities as a church? Are we living according to those priorities? God, may it always be that we would live with open hands, that we would be a blessing uh, to the body of Christ in our city, in the nations of the world. God, I pray that even as we approach global impact and some of these things, God, I pray that a spirit of generosity would come upon this house as never before that we would be known as people who are generous because you're generous. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've been doing in our lives these last few weeks. Help us to live it out in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Bless you, church. Let's do it. Have a good rest of your Sunday. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together. We hope that you found insight and had moments that spoke to you right where you needed it. Before you go, share the love and post this inspiring video to your page. Who knows how many lives could be impacted by it. And if you aren't already, like, follow, and turn on your social media notifications to keep up to date on all the exciting things happening at our church. Here at Harvest City, we're all about connecting with our community and celebrating those big moments. Like if you've recently decided to fully dedicate your life to Jesus, we'll be your cheerleaders and help you take those first steps. And if you're going through a tough season, let us know how we can help you. Plus, we've got tons of programs for kids, youth, and adults if you're looking for a new community to be part of. To send us a message or check out more about HCC, head over to our website, harvestcity.ca. To all of our financial partners, thank you for investing into the kingdom of God. Your generosity allows us to keep doing what we're called to do and reach even more people. If you're interested in contributing, please visit harvestcity.ca slash giving for more info. Thanks for being here. Keep living your call and we'll catch you again soon.